at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 34 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. I'm Austin Statton, joined as always by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. Daylight Savings is here, and we have an exciting show on deck as we'll be joined later on by NFL expert and writer for the Houston Chronicle, John McClain. Also, we'll sit down with Ashton Warren, who was in Kansas City this past week covering the Big 12 tournament for Campus Insiders. Guys, how was the week? Oh my God. I mean, anybody who follows me on Twitter at KMichaelCook knows how brutal my week was. I was covering my Houston Cougars in the American Athletic Conference tournament, went out to Orlando, which by the way, if you ever have the chance to go out to Orlando, don't. That place <laughs> is a disaster. Um, so sorry to any Orlando fans. Your town is not anywhere I want to be. But so I, I, of course, I thought that we'd come back with a win um, or two wins, maybe three wins. We came back with zero wins, losing in an upset to Tulane. The coach found out at halftime that he was probably out as the head coach and they sort of used that as fuel I think to come back and beat Houston who looked totally unprepared and I was the only member of the Houston media in the postgame presser talking to coach Samson and LaRon Barnes and that was uncomfortable having to ask questions that um, I didn't really necessarily want to ask but I couldn't fade into the background because nobody else was there to ask questions so it was a brutal weekend for me uh, somewhere I really hate to be I really hate to lose uh, my teams it was uh, it was bad but I have found a new show I will say if you're like me and you hate Arrow but you like superhero stuff Daredevil excellent Gotham, pretty good. So that's my week in a nutshell. I can attest. I've seen Daredevil. Great show. Jeremy, how was your week? Week was great. I, uh, of course, I'm thrilled, as always, to see Baylor uh, in the bracket here uh, in the 64. So um, I was a little disappointed uh, at the Big 12 tournament and how it turned out. Kansas just rolled right over us. But uh, other than that, I don't have anything else to complain about. Uh, It's a great week. Still getting used to the puppy. Uh, He's still a menace, uh, still acting like a puppy, but really cute, really sweet. I think there was some talk about him becoming our mascot which I would totally be okay with. Um, for the viewers that, or for the listeners that didn't know, his name is Bo, so uh, that's what we decided to call him. But overall, a great week. You named your animal Bo, too? My cat is named Bowie. Bomani is his name. My sister named him. It means warrior. Real, okay, I, I knew it had a longer name. His name is just Bo, like B-E-A-U. It's like so, supposed to be some sort of, sort of gentleman. But uh, Kara went out today and got him a set of bow ties. I don't know how I feel about that. So you're saying that you might hold back on that engagement ring? Uh, No comment. I don't approve of what we're doing to Jeremy and his relationship. I mean, this makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. This is a really public expose of something I'd rather keep private, like engagement rings, popping the question, all that stuff. We're just talking about dogs here. <laughs> well, speaking of dogs, I was actually around several of them at 8th Wonder this past weekend. 8th uh, Wonder had their three-year anniversary for the brewery. Great Houston scene. They had live music. A lot of people brought their dogs out to the you know, the show, the outdoor environment. Uh, I'd highly recommend it if you have not been to 8th Wonder Brewery. They are located in East Downtown near the Dynamo Stadium. So if you're looking to go to a Dynamo game, uh, you know there's some soccer chat for you. If you're looking to go to a Dynamo game, uh, check them out beforehand. Uh, I, you know, I believe they're open late, but uh, great environment there, and I uh, definitely enjoyed that. Also, uh, you know, going to Vegas this week. Definitely looking forward to watching March Madness live from Las Vegas. Then directly after that, I'm flying to Europe and the Middle East. So this will be the, I guess, the last time this month that we will be podcasting all in the state of Texas, as uh, I'll be doing some stuff abroad here in the next few weeks. But also want to give a shout out to one of our listeners who just had surgery this week and is still in the recovery process. Uh, Katie, we're definitely praying for you. And uh, guys, uh, I heard we had several of our listeners visit We Desserts this week. Is that correct? That is correct. 
correct. You guys did a great job of turning out. We, of course, is our sponsor. If you're confused about how to spell it, that's fine. It is foreign. O-U-I, we desserts, as in yes, desserts in French. And, uh, you know, they've been a sponsor for a while. We've been encouraging people to go out there. Penny was on the show last week and, uh, you know, wanted listeners of this podcast to come out and become part of their uh, friendship group, their extended family that they have. They say it's always like a party over there. And a lot of listeners turned out this week. We've been getting feedback from them. I got to say, we didn't get any iTunes reviews. You'll hear about that later. I'm very upset about that. But it sort of mitigates that disappointment to have our listeners um, do the right thing and go out and support an institution that we love, an institution that I eat at all the time. So go out to We Desserts. Uh, Beignets are what they're most notable for. The New Orleans style, what is it? What would you guys describe? Like a donut kind of? What is a beignet exactly? Heaven in your mouth. (laughs) Either way, it's delicious. And uh, they're soft, wonderful, warm. Uh, There's powdered sugar on them. There's also some ice cream that comes with them. They do a lot of special things with them. And I think they are, without question, the best beignets in the city of Houston. Um, and certainly if you're looking for a little piece of that New Orleans flavor, you should go out to We Desserts. And they're really friendly people. Get to know them. You know, tell them your name. Tell them you, that you listen to our podcast. You get a 10% discount off of your order. They do specialty cakes. They do beignets. Everything you could possibly want. So go find them on social media. Uh, we Desserts on Facebook and at We Desserts for Instagram. They have beautiful pictures of food, which I am told is called food porn. It's not what you think. It's just beautiful <laughs> pictures of food. Yeah, go ahead and tell Penny and Jenna, the guys of the Weekly Brew, sent you by for a 10% off of your purchase. And you can find them again at 3411 Kirby here in Houston. Also, as Kevin alluded to, we want iTunes reviews. We want you to go there. Give us five stars. Tell us what you like. Give us show ideas. Uh, we had somebody this week tell us that uh, you know they would like to hear more soccer chats. So we'll see what we can do to uh, bring that into the mix. But uh, definitely go there. Leave us a five-star review. Give us your feedback. We want to hear it. Also, you can find all of our content on our social media channels. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also find us online at weeklybrewcast.com. But guys, we have a packed show on deck, so it's time to grab a brew, sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. It seems that there is almost no offseason in the NFL as free agency officially kicked off last week. One of the teams making perhaps the biggest splash was the Houston Texans. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew to discuss the Houston Texans and more is John McClain, who covers the Texans and the NFL for the Houston Chronicle. John, welcome back to the show, and how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Definitely glad to have you back on the show, and I guess the obvious uh, first question for you right now is Brock Osweiler. Texans signed him to a four-year contract last week for $72 million. Is this the right move for the Texans who have been needing a quarterback for essentially their entire history of the franchise? In one fell swoop, uh, they solved their two biggest problems, quarterback and running back. Now they can use the draft for whatever else they want. Had they waited until the draft, Bob McNair said they would have had to have traded at least three picks to move up, and that's three potential quality players. They liked Osweiler. They played against him in the last two preseasons. They practiced against him in the 2014 preseason. After the season, after Brian Hoyer threw four interceptions, lost a fumble in that 30 to nothing playoff loss to Kansas City. After Bill O'Brien and his staff uh, did film work of all their players, then they do film work of the guys who are potential free agents, and he put Osweiler at the top of the quarterbacks. He told Rick Smith, this is a guy I'd like to have if they don't uh, re-sign him ahead of time. Um, a lot of people thought they would have re-signed him last year, but in essence, Peyton Manning waiting until the last minute hurt them because they couldn't do anything cap-wise with Osweiler until Manning made his decision. And when he did it so late by then, 
you know, that, that ship was sailing, and it was sailing to Houston. And John Elway made an initial offer of $13 million for, I mean, $39 million over three years. With bonuses, it could push it to 45 They didn't take it. And then they could talk parameters with Rick Smith, and I think he made it clear. The Texans were going to get Osweiler because O'Brien and offense coordinator George Godsey liked him. Uh, he was coached by Adam Gase. He was coached by Gary Kubiak. He watched for four years and learned with Peyton Manning. He said in his news conference on Thursday, Peyton taught me how to be a pro. And so he, when he went to Denver's second-round pick, Josh McDaniels was the head coach. The system he put in was the New England system, which is the system they learn they have in Houston. So he has a foundation with that system. But you know, Bill O'Brien and George Gotts have done a good job coaching a lot of mediocre quarterbacks. They've gotten the best out of all of them. There's no reason to think they can't get the best out of Brock Osweiler. Before the free agent acquisition of Brock Osweiler, all the talk was you got to go out in the first round of the draft and get yourself a quarterback. So I'm curious, having picked up an established guy who's been in the league, who's learned under Peyton, who kind of has those reps, how far ahead of schedule does this put the Texans relative to taking a guy in the first round and having to develop him internally? He started seven games. He's had good coaches. He's had a great mentor in Peyton Manning. He knows what a good – he's had a good defense. He's got a good defense here, not dominating like the Broncos. And he's not had a running back like Lamar Miller. So he should be much more polished and adaptable than a rookie would be. Now, it doesn't mean in three years a rookie wouldn't be better. But the truth is, if they stayed at 22, they wouldn't have gotten one of the top three quarterbacks. They would have had Connor Cook or Christian Hackenberg if they wanted a quarterback in the first round. That would have been a reach for both of them. And they wanted Osweiler. That's what Bill, o- Bill O'Brien had told me how much he liked him. He couldn't say it publicly, but he did. He told me quite a while ago, and I said, no way he's leaving Denver. Everybody said, no way he's leaving Denver. They don't have enough quarterback. Ultimately, and Bob McNair told me this after the news conference Thursday, he, had, he said, I think Denver realized we had more cap room and we were going to do whatever it took to get him. And that's why John Elway bowed out at 16 and a half. Maybe he thought if he went to 18, they would have gone to 19. So uh, Bob McNair, his resources, that and, and having money under the cap for the first time since 2011 when they signed Jonathan Joseph and Danielle Manning to improve the league's worst secondary, that made a huge difference for Rick Smith, the general manager. One of my questions specifically uh, about the Osweiler deal is is about his contract, the $72 million. Just from an outsider perspective, it seems like quarterbacks are getting paid more and more every year. And I think back to Matt Flynn a few years ago who signed that uh, three-year contract uh, with the Seattle Seahawks, who was ultimately beat out by Russell Wilson. And uh, he actually sent a tweet out last Wednesday saying, quote, wow, I now know that I'm going to get killed for this and I don't have a lot of room to talk, but the latest QB contract is unbelievable. What do you make of you know the quarterbacks getting $18, 19000000 million a year? And do you think, for the Texans in particular, do you think that Brock Osweiler is worth the $72 million, what, $36 million guaranteed? Doesn't matter what I think, it's what they think. Bill O'Brien knows a lot more about it than I do, so does George Godsey. Peter King wrote 
uh, last week, John Elway thinks Brock Osweiler will be a star. And Gary Kubiak told me after the Super Bowl how much he liked him. So if Elway and Kubiak thought he was going to be a star, and Bill O'Brien, as far as God's, he think he's going to be a star, who might argue with that? They've watched all the film. They've talked to the people. They ought to know. Now, it doesn't mean he won't bomb out. So many free agents do. But that's the, that's the guy they've targeted. Uh, Elway sound kind of like a spurned lover in his statement that we only want people that want to be here. Osweiler <laughs> said he wanted to start over, and he wanted to start over in Houston and with this offense. And I don't blame Elway for being upset. You groom a guy for four years, and you're ready to, to make him wealthy beyond his wildest dreams, but he goes somewhere else for more money. And remember, you're talking about that kind of money in no state income tax. That's worth That might be worth several million in the whole scheme of things as well. Players never admit, of course, it's all about the money. But, of course, it's always about the money. And the Texans did what needed to be done. Now it's up to Bill O'Brien to coach him up. And I'll say this, I interviewed Osweiler at the airport when he arrived. I interviewed him at the news conference. He is a very, very polished, impressive guy. And everybody I talked to in Denver, in the organization and in the media, they all speak of him in such reverential manners about what kind of person he is. And Bill O'Brien's all about being a good teammate. Now he's got to he's got to become that leader O'Brien wants. He's got to be able to do the things he wants in the system. So, John, with the addition of Osweiler, we still have two quarterbacks currently on the roster. We have Brian Hoyer, previously mentioned, and Tom Savage. Uh, what is the value of those two players at this point, and what's their future, whether it be with the program or in the league? I think they'll trade Hoyer. You know, there's going to be teams that need quarterbacks. There's going to be teams that get hurt that need quarterbacks. Hoyer's coming off his best season. Try not to think about the playoff game, and he had 19 touchdowns, seven interceptions, his highest rating, 91. So if you can get a guy like that for a low pick, that'd be a pretty good deal. They got a low pick for Case Keenum, low pick for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They want to get one for Brian Hoyer. Tom Savage will be the backup, and I would imagine – they will sign another veteran, and the one I wish they would sign is Brandon Whedon, who did an impressive job in a short period of time after he was claimed on waivers from Dallas. Kind of moving on, the Texans also made a, a lot of movement at the start of free agency, and I can't think of a year in which the Texans have had this much action on the first day of free agency. And kind of filling the void that Arian Foster left when the Texans cut him uh, two weeks ago, they signed Lamar Miller, who absolutely torched the Texans uh, last year in a game. He had 175 yards rushing the touchdown for 14 carries, but he's also a guy that can receive out of the backfield. How do you think he plays into this system, and can he be a guy that you know, replaces or at least comes close to what Arian Foster did while healthy? He's 5'11", 225, and he's a speedy speed back. He's the fastest running back the Texans will have ever had as a starter. In each of the last two years, 97-yard touchdown, 85-yard touchdown. Texans averaged 3.7 yards of carry last season. Only two teams were worse. They ran for seven touchdowns. Miller's had more rushing touchdowns than seven each of the last two years. He averaged 4.5 yards a carry this year, 5.1 last year. Now, they never had him being a guy touching the ball 25 times a game. Well, he doesn't need to do that. Alfred Brody can go from starter to backup, a better role for him. They've got some other backs on the roster, like Akeem Hunt, who's even faster than 
Lamar Miller. So there's no need for him to come in here and be a 25-carry workhorse. They need him to hit some home runs, something they've never had. Kind of diving into the advanced metrics, and you said that the Texans don't need him to you know, take on that extreme workload. But if you look at the advanced metrics from last year, he averaged 5.4 yards a carry in the first half. But when you go to the third quarter, that drops to 3.5 yards and then 2.6 yards in the fourth quarter. Is that cause for concern? Well, the Texans will look at that, and that might have to do with the opponent, the score, the way halftime adjustments. You never know. Could be conditioning. I don't know. I know he didn't. He had 14 carries for 175 yards against the Texans, including an 85-yard run, three catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. And they don't base it on one game, but it did. He did impress the heck out of them. So. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien will utilize him a lot as a receiver as he did Foster. And if he sees his carries going down, he'll find a way to get around it. So in the offensive line, you see a lot of shuffling of the deck chairs there. You lose guard Brandon Brooks, center Ben Jones. You gain Kansas City Chiefs guard Jeff Allen, former Oakland Raiders center Tony Bergstrom. I mean, is there a net gain or loss in that transaction? And do you worry about bringing together players that have not played together in the same system uh, for a period of time? Well, they had guys that played together last year, and they didn't play very well. A lot of that had to do with injuries. Jeff Allen, a real tough guy from Kansas City physical, nasty. They want to get physical up front. He'll start at right guard. I don't know about Tony Bergstrom. He was a backup. He's been hurt. They'll use a mid-level pick on a center. And they've got another guy named Greg Matz entering his second season. But I was surprised Ben Jones left. Brandon Brooks got $8 million a year. Texans said no. They're not going to do that. And I think one of their top two picks will be an offensive tackle. And if he's versatile enough to play guard or be move play guard Xavier Suafilo move to center that would be better I think the first pick now will be a really fast wide receiver who can return kickoffs and punts and but they need they need help in the offensive line so the Texans have enough picks to do some damage in the draft and with the quarterback position taken care of uh, what does that mean in terms of their strategy for approaching the draft and and where they might focus their energy they've got seven picks as it stands they might be able to get another one for Hoyer. And instead of having to package their one and a one in the future and a two this year, maybe a three or a two in the future, to move up, they get to keep their picks. Their their issues in order are wide receiver, offensive line, specifically tackle. They need a defensive end, a safety, a center. And if they had another nose tackle, that would be even better. But now they can address those much easier than they could if they had had to depend on the draft to yield the quarterback that they want. And, and speaking of the draft, you know, that's that's a point in which you do fill a lot of those needs with young players, but in, in a way that you get that immediate fixes through free agency. And we've seen the Texans be active already at the start of free agency last week. Do you foresee Rick Smith or Bill O'Brien making any other moves, bringing in veteran players uh, leading up to OTAs and fall camp? Yeah, they'll bring in some more guys. This is the first time they've been active like this on the first day. Uh, but they, they're a little under $10 million under the cap after all these deals. And a lot of that is earmarked for a rookie pool, practice squad players, players on reserve list. So you can't spend it all. But you can you can make it count for a couple of more. You know, guys like Raheem Moore, Vince Wilfork, 
Nate Washington, Cecil Shorts, those mid-level free agents at the time of the signing. I think we'll see them sign anywhere from two to three of those kind of free agents. So Osweiler, upon arriving, said he felt something special was happening here in Houston with the Texans. Um, this is the most excited I can remember the fan base being in a long, long time, sort of getting in this quarterback position, the most important position taken care of. I mean, do you think all that excitement is warranted? What do you feel the uh, ceiling is for the team this season and in the next couple of years now that we have that quarterback locked up? First of all, it gets people really fired up. Nothing like a new quarterback to do that. And Bob McNair said, I think this will help us go farther in the playoffs. Well, all he had to do is go to the second round and go farther. What this should help them do gives them a better chance to successfully defend their AFC South title because they got Andrew Luck coming back healthy. If Andrew Luck's healthy, Indianapolis is going to be the favorite because we don't know how well Brock Osweiler will play. And they're competing for the division title. If they don't get that, they're competing for a wild card. And then when they get in the playoffs, they think their quarterback's not going to spit the bit, as Hoyer did last year, and they'll have a chance to advance beyond that first round. You mentioned the AFC South, and I know one of the teams last year that kind of impressed me was the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, although they finished 5-11 and on the year, their offense uh, was just you know, lights out for most of the year. You know, they've, they've got a lot of uh, cap room this year for the offseason. How do you think that they've, you know, kind of, shaped up moving into next year, having all of that cap space and, you know, kind of starting to make moves and uh, be rumored to make moves during free agency. Jaguars always make moves. They made more this year because they have to spend the money. Everybody gets all fired up and uh, everybody thinks that Gus Bradley's going to have his first winning record and they're bad again. I think they'll get good when Blake Bortles stops throwing interceptions. He's got good receivers. <laughs> they had Chris Ivory go with TJ Yeldon at running back but I don't think they're a threat to win the division. They need to get up in the 8-8 eight and eight range first. And then there's the Titans. The Titans, like the Jaguars, they have their quarterback in place. They're making moves to, to help Marcus Mariota, giving him DeMarco Murray to run, and they they gonna they got the first pick in every round. I can see them drafting Ole Miss. Left tackle Laramie Tunsil, moving uh, Taylor Lewand to right. Then they would have two first-round picks at bookend tackles, and that should help Mariota, as should DeMarco Murray with the running game. John, you recently spent some time at the Draft Combine, and I've heard a lot of noise from pundits about how those observables, those measurables, don't necessarily translate concretely to play on the field. So I'm just curious, I mean, when you're out there, do you see things that get you excited, and how important do you think those uh, performances in the Combine are to players' futures uh, in the NFL? You know, it's a piece of the puzzle, a process. Now, the NFL acts like it's not as big a deal as it is, but it is. Guys have great combines. All of a sudden, they're in the media. They're in the consciousness of the public. Their stock goes up and down based on the way they run. So, yeah, there are some guys uh, like Robert Nicomdici, the defensive lineman from Ole Miss. He had terrible interviews in which it make you question his judgment all the time based on his interview. And some guys worked out great. Some didn't, and when you're fast, you're fast, but you've got to have more to it. If you're strong, that doesn't – the strongest guys never make the NFL, and if they do, they don't last. The fast guys, though, the fast speed is a great barometer, especially for the skill positions in the secondary. One more question to wrap things up here, but, you know, we are a Houston-based podcast. We have a lot of listeners in Texas, which means we have a lot of – 
Baylor Bears and Texas A&M Aggie fans that listen to us. And one of the questions that I have for you is, one, where does RG3 end up? And secondly, does Johnny Manziel play in the NFL next year? The Browns haven't got Manziel because they claim two or three teams have shown interest. Based on what Manziel has done off the field, I wouldn't touch him with 100 football. And if somebody <laughs> does and it backfires on them the way it does on Cleveland, has on Cleveland, they deserve they deserve exactly what they get because he is toxic, has shown no reason to make us think he wants to play football. RG3, I saw him last week. I told him, you need to go somewhere with a coach who believes in a mobile quarterback. Gary Kubiak would be ideal for him to resurrect his career. But he's going to go in as a backup. He's going to have to compete. Might be a backup the whole season. Andy Reid likes quarterbacks who can move. Replacing Chase Daniel in Kansas City, good idea. Kellen Kaepernick gets traded from San Francisco. Chip Kelly would be another. As a Baylor alum, I just hope that he makes a smart decision. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. And, uh, John, we definitely appreciate you joining us again on the Weekly Brew Podcast. You're all over the place when it comes to social media. You're on several radio shows. Uh, for those listening right now, what is the best place that they can find you? I'm on Sports Radio 610 in Houston six times a week, but it's all different It's all different days at different hours, so I can be on with all the hosts. I'm on the Titans flagship three times a week, Waco, Baylor's flagship twice. Also do weekly shows in Knoxville, St. Louis, Austin, San Antonio, and Corpus because uh, I love doing talk shows. And of course, crime.com slash sports. That's my real job. <laughs> what about Twitter? Uh, oh, Twitter, of course. McLean underscore on underscore NFL. That's M C C L A I N. McLean underscore on underscore NFL. And I need all the followers I can get. Hey, we appreciate John. Thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. March Madness tips off this week, and if you're a sports fan, this is probably one of the most exciting times of the year for you. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew to discuss March Madness and more is Ashton Warren, who was in Kansas City this past week covering the Big 12 tournament for Campus Insiders. Ashton, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us this week. How was Kansas City? It was actually really, really crazy. Um they really go all out for the Big 12 tournament, and I've never even been to Kansas City, but when I showed up, I mean, there were so many people. And I don't know if it's – I guess it's not always that crowded, but I feel like it's a pretty hop in town. But with everybody in from just – there are a lot of Iowa State people, a lot of Kansas State, obviously a lot of Kansas fans, a lot of Oklahoma fans. Probably Baylor did not represent very well, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> It's, it's a far, it's a far ways away. Tell the listeners how you were able to cover this event through Campus Insiders. It was a social media campaign, correct? Annabelle Stefan, who works for the Big 12 Digital Network now, who used to work for Scout with me, um, she tweeted something about, you know, be a guest reporter for the Big 12 tournament. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I might as well apply for that. And so I did. And a part of that was sitting in a video um, and I kind of, did a recap of Baylor's season and sent that in, and then also kind of promoting their brand on social media. And by getting people to tweet, you know, hey, I follow Campus Insiders to support Ashton to go to Kansas City. And so I got Isaiah Austin to tweet, and then Brandon Finnegan, who's a former Kansas City Royals guy who also was from TCU, so Big 12 guy, um, I got him to tweet. 
and then just some other guys. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I got a lot more of a turnout than I thought. <laughs> I was really happy <laughs> with all the support. It was really cool. So I guess tell us about the tournament. I mean, Kansas, obviously the number one overall seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. We've got seven Big 12 teams heading to March. So some might say that the teams, the caliber of teams in Kansas City was actually, you know, perhaps more challenging than, you know, some teams might have in the NCAA tournament. What was it like just being there, especially to see, uh, you know, Kansas, West Virginia, and then also that miraculous finish with West Virginia and Oklahoma? Yeah, it it was some of the best basketball I've ever seen. And I mean, hopefully I'll get to, I'm only 23, so I'm sure I've got time to see more. But I mean, it was crazy. Also, like, getting to just sit there and talk with some of the people that were there. Carl Ravitch was there and he was covering it during um, halftime on ESPN. But I, I sat next to him at the game and he was like, you know, it's like anything can happen. It's not, it's not like, Oh, you're going to play each other and Oh, everybody knows it's going to be a blowout game. I mean, they're all very great teams in the big 12. So it all makes for very interesting turnouts and anything can really happen. So out of all the basketball you saw, what was the most memorable single moment of the tournament for you? Definitely, like you were, you just mentioned, the Oklahoma and West Virginia game. I actually, I was getting really tired. It was a really long day. And so at the end, you know, I mean, it was a great game, and I was keeping up with it. But then I found myself, like, tuning out a little bit because I was just getting really sleepy. And then all of a sudden, Buddy Heald just, has an amazing shot like down the court and I find myself like standing up and like screaming because it was the most incredible thing (laughs) I've ever seen and then literally like I just turn around and he's right next to me climbing on the table (laughs) and into the fans and I was like holy crap what's going on I was like this is awesome and it was just the coolest moment like I think I was shaking actually (laughs) like I'm pretty sure I was really really like It was just a crazy moment. I felt like out of my body. It was so weird. So Ashton, obviously with Kansas taking uh, the the, the tournament, in in your opinion, uh, seeing all the seeing all the games during the tournament, uh, who do you think of the Big 12 has the best chance of uh, going farther in in the NCAA tournament um, as we go forward? I would think I would say definitely Oklahoma. I, you know, in West Virginia won that game. But what I mean, that was such a close game. Um, the coach, the West Virginia coach and the press conference afterwards said, you know, I'm not happy with that win. I came to win tomorrow, not to just play tomorrow. And if they could barely beat Oklahoma, he kind of knew, yeah, we're just going to play tomorrow and probably not win, but they're still a really great team. I, th- I think it definitely would be Kansas and Oklahoma that are going to go the furthest though. So, Ashton, one of the things that I'm curious about is that, you know, we're we're huge about supporting other podcasts and, uh, you know, kind of interviewing people from other uh, places that have other backgrounds, different podcasts. And you actually started a podcast in the fall uh, called The Blonde Report. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, that I do with Caroline Lindstrom. She is my best friend. Uh, we actually weren't best friends before we started. We just both really loved sports. And now we became like each other's other half it's it's great but she works at ESC in Central Texas and so we do it over there and uh, just post it but we haven't been doing anything with basketball this semester has been so crazy for me just because I started working with Baylor Vision but 
football, we did it last semester, and it was awesome. I mean, we spent tons of time on it, and we like to have fun with it. It's something that, you know, people aren't listening or watching our podcast because they think we know more than them or can, like, contribute in a different way. They're watching us because, like, we're entertaining, and we're, I like to think we're pretty funny. But that's why people are watching, and we, we appreciate that. But it also gives us a chance to kind of learn how to talk about sports, which is something, like, going into what we want to do as being sports reporters, you have to learn how to do that. And so that's a really easy way for us to achieve that. How supportive has Baylor been in terms of, uh, you know, giving you access to the student athletes, the coaches, and kind of, I guess, mentoring you in that process? That's a really, really good question um, because that's not something that I get asked a lot about, but that's something that is huge because I didn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I mean, the way that I got into this, I started with journalism PR, um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it. I met Art Bryles at HEB one day because I like, he was signing books and my parents just love him. So I went and got the book signed and I used to be recruit host and Trevor Clemens Valdez was my recruit, um, my freshman year of college. And I kind of started talking to him about that. And he's like, you know what you'd be great at? And I was like, no, tell me. <laughs> and he was like, you'd be a great, you know, like recruit reporter for us. They were just like, um, A&M has one and we were really looking to have one. So I'm going to set you up with rivals and all that stuff. So I started doing stuff for rivals, got in with scout and then, um, eventually kind of met Heath Nielsen through all of that. And he's been like my biggest mentor and kind of supporter. I go to his office all the time and just talk to him and, shoot ideas around and before I even um, applied for the Campus Insiders competition I went and spoke to him about it and he just he's been so great he always makes sure that I get to meet people that come to the Baylor game Keith introduced me to Holly Rowe at the Big 12 tournament and I got to get really great advice for her so he's been my biggest mentor and then also setting me up with Baylor Vision and getting me to help with signing day and I'll be co-hosting pro day on Wednesday and they've just been so helpful and given me so much advice and so much opportunity to grow experience because there aren't really any classes at Baylor that specialize in broadcasting or anything like that so it's been great. One thing I'm curious about is, you know, we have talked to quite a few women that are sort of uh, either well-established or making their way into the sports media industry. And, and they oftentimes talk about, you know, um, advice that they would give to women that are coming up or, or lessons they learned from strong women in their past. So I was curious if there was, you know, a, a strong woman that had inspired you or whether you had some words of wisdom for women that are kind of coming up and, and are interested in sports and want to make a name for themselves in the field of sports. Yeah. Um, well, the one person that I really look up to and she is doing really well at her job right now as Lindsay Cash. She went to Baylor and she graduated, I think two years ago. And I knew her my freshman year whenever I got to Baylor because we were both um, hosts for the recruits. And she now works for the Dallas Cowboys as their um, host and reporter for them. And she's doing so great, but also, I mean, just the obvious Holly Rowe, whenever I talked to her, the advice she gave me, just read books on sports and try to learn as much as you can and learn the lingo because that's what sets you apart. There are a lot of women who say, you know, oh, I, I really like sports and I want to do this, but you have to take the time to really 
learn about each sport. And so right now, for me, it's like I'm really good with football, but I also read Football for Dummies. Like it's stuff like that that you legitimately have to do as a woman just because I've, I've not played this sport my whole life. I've watched it. I've cheered for them. But I want to be able to have a legit conversation with someone who's very knowledgeable in the sport and be able to carry myself. So I will sit there and read books like that so that I can know every single rule, all the lingo, how to analyze a player, stuff like that. So I have yet to do that with basketball, but that is my next step. (laughs) I think that's great advice all around. And I love that you mentioned Holly Rowe. She's actually one of my favorites on ESPN. She's so knowledgeable. She's probably one of the best reporters that the networks have. And uh, she's also battling cancer right now and is still doing her job with ESPN. And I know she'll be, I believe, covering the women's tournament coming up, if if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But she's she's one of my favorite uh, reporters, covers the Big 12 quite frequently. And Ashton, we definitely appreciate you uh, joining us on the Weekly Brew podcast this week. And for those that are interested in following you on Twitter, it's not Ashton Warren, but it's Ashton Brooke. Is that right? Yeah, it's been my, you know, aim name from back in the days and MSN and AOL, all of that stuff. Oh, and MySpace. It was my MySpace. <laughs> so now it's just, you know, I'm carrying it through life. It's Ashton underscore Brooke. So definitely go follow Ashton on Twitter. She posts a lot of great content. Uh, She covers a lot of sporting events, specifically around Baylor, but you can go follow her on Twitter at Ashton underscore Brooke. But Ashton, thanks again for joining us on the podcast this week, and uh, best of luck to you in your reporting career. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Had a blast. Closing time. Again, you're listening to episode 34 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And thanks again to John McLean and Ashton Warren for joining us on this week's show. Guys, I really enjoyed the conversation. We spoke NFL with John McLean, talked about the Texans, talked about the NFL draft, whether or not Brock Osweiler was the right decision for the Texans. And Ashton, it was great talking with her. She covered the Big 12 tournament this past week for Campus Insider. We touched a little bit on March Madness and what to expect as this week tips off. But guys, I thought it was a great episode. Curious, what did you guys think? Well, I was glad to finally get a chance to talk to John McClain. He is as knowledgeable and entertaining a figure in the sports uh, media industry as there is, I think. So I, uh, I I wouldn't say he's like a hero or role model of mine, but a guy I respect very much, and I certainly enjoy getting his opinions. So I appreciate uh, the time. Uh, Mr. McClain, should I call him Mr. McClain? John, I'm just going to call him John. I appreciate the time, John, and uh, certainly I am hyped up as anyone else in Houston about next year's season and the uh, prospects for Brock Osweiler as our franchise guy. Jeremy, what about you? Thanks to John McLean, as always, for uh, coming by the podcast. Always love to hear him opine about just about anything, but uh, especially the Texans, uh, given our offensive struggles. Um, also, thanks to Ashton for coming on. Um, always love talking Big 12 basketball. Uh, of course, uh, for my team, would have liked to see things pan out a little bit better for them in the tournament, but hey, that's, uh, that's the way it is. So, But we have a big tourney coming up, so um, can't uh, couldn't ask to be anywhere better to, uh, to talk about it than here with you guys. Maybe while I'm in Las Vegas, I'll try to... Uh, you know, spread the word about the Weekly Brew podcast. I'm going to try to do some man on the street type interviews and, you know, maybe even tell people to check us out on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, uh, Kevin, it was just an all around bad week for you as your Cougs lost in Orlando and we had zero iTunes reviews. I don't know if you've ever been in the Orlando airport, but it is like a third world country in there all the time. <laughs> I mean, long lines, people battling each other for position, rudeness, uh, surliness. It was a nightmare. And that's only compounded by the fact that I had no 
reviews to tide me over and to make me feel better about the way things are going, which you guys know. If you've listened for any amount of time, welcome to our new listeners. This is not directed at you because you don't know any better, but our older listeners know that all it takes to make my week is one review, just one review, one five-star review on iTunes because uh, that helps us, again, show up in the rankings, show up in people's searches when they search for sports podcasts or political podcasts or whatever they're looking for on iTunes, and we want more people to know about our show. So if you can go to our Facebook and like it and share our content, we have posts, uh, we would appreciate that. We certainly love way more than all the other listeners, the ones who respond, who engage us on social media, who share our content. Um, Louis Delagula uh, is one guy who's really been doing a great job of that. Ian Terry, another guy who's been doing a great job on Facebook of sharing our stuff. And so those guys are guys you should follow on Facebook and uh, you should be like them as well. So shame on all of you. Um, Welcome to the new listeners again, but to the old listeners, shame on you because there's so many of you, like thousands and thousands of you that could have left a review and no one did. I could not be more disappointed or unhappy than I am in this moment. All right. So you heard Kevin. He's a little bit disappointed. He's had a rough week. So go to iTunes, make his week better as we move forward toward March Madness. Uh, you know, even maybe throw in a line saying that Kevin is your favorite host. I think that would just make his week even better. But again, good. you can always find our content on iTunes. Just search Weekly Brew. And also you can find our content on social media. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, you can find our website. We post the show rundown there each Monday at weeklybrewcast.com. But guys, we had a fun episode. Again, thanks to John McLean and Ashton Warren for joining us on the podcast. And the next time I will be joining you, it will be from a different country. So looking forward to that. But again, for my co-host this week, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton, my name is Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. And guys, brew responsibly, please. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 